Life Audio. Coming up on Encouragement for You, financial authority Russ Crossan on leaving a legacy. And Dr. Frank Menrith talks about overcoming depression. Welcome to the Encouragement for You podcast, brought to you by Encouragement Communications in association with the Salem Web Network and is part of the Life Audio Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit lifeaudio.com. In just a moment, your host, Don Hawkins, will introduce today's episode. First, a word from our sponsors. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. As Christians who have been blessed by God, we should give consideration to leaving a legacy. Executive Vice President and Chief Mission Officer of the Ronald Blue Trust and author of the book, A Life Well Spent, shares insights with host Don Hawkins on our eternal legacy and storing up treasures in heaven. I'm Don Hawkins, and in today's first segment, I'm joined by Russ Crossan, author of the book, A Life Well Spent. Uh, Talk to us about what your passion was when you first wrote this book, Russ. Well, Don, thanks for asking. You know, obviously being in the financial services profession as I am, you know, I work with people around money issues, you know, tax planning, investment planning, estate planning, but began to realize that the purpose for doing all that financial planning is really to try to buy some time and balance our lives so we don't get to the end of our lives and have any regrets. I mean, money is simply a tool, and we can either use it to help buy time to impact people, first and foremost, our families, or we can let money um, get crosswise in our lives and take away that time that we need to invest in our our kids primarily. Hmm. And a lot of us are are really locked in uh, living to somehow either make it from paycheck to paycheck or to amass as much as we can, and uh, sometimes with the eye to spending as much of it as we can, and sometimes with the idea of uh, leaving as much in our estate as we can. And uh, and yet that's not the primary legacy that uh, that probably God wants us to leave, is it? No, it's really not, Don. I mean, I mean, I was guilty of this early on, as most people are in their careers. We we want to be quote successful, and we have the wrong definition of success. Maybe we can talk about that. But mm-hmm. the point is, we start thinking, all right, put money in retirement, put money in IRAs, you know, get a big bank account, and some of that money really should be used to invest uh, more strategically uh, in things that are going to build spiritual and social capital into our children instead of just financial capital. 
Uh, let's step back, though, Russ, and, and talk about where you start in this book. And I love the way you do it. You really start with uh, a look at the eternal perspective on money, on family, and on these issues. Uh, take us back to those principles, if you will. Yeah, I think, Don, um, the key is, you know, nobody ever gets to the end of their life and, and wishes they had to, you know, spent more time at the office or amassed a, a bigger amount of um, assets. You know, you've heard this saying, you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. So yeah. the point is, what's really going to count for eternity, I like the little saying, you know, children are the living messages we send to a time we will not see. And I think that, you know, we, we realize that the only uh, mark we're going to leave into the next generation or the legacy we're going to leave is, is the people we impact. Hmm. First and foremost, our kids and our our immediate families, and then other people that we're able to disciple and pour our lives into. So this whole thing about money is not the true definition of success if you if you really study the Scripture. You know, and, I love Joshua 1 eight where it says, you know, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night and be careful to do according to all that is written in it, and then your way will be prosperous and everything you do will have success. Well, most people read that verse and think, okay, I'm going to have money, because yeah. they define success as money. In reality, success yeah. is being obedient to God and and focusing on what he says is important. Yeah, and, and that verse, I think, is so critical, that passage in Joshua 1, Russ. Uh, the only place I've found where you find the two concepts of prosperity and success put together, and it's so radically different from even what a lot of Christians are saying today, uh, because you even have Christians today who are uh, claiming to represent biblical teaching and to say that if, if God loves you and if you have favor with God, you'll be very prosperous with a lot of money, and that will be the definition of success. Uh, you have uh, selected two words, both of which begin with P, uh, that uh, I've always uh, been able to remember this little device, and, and just looking back over the book, A Life Well Spent, I uh, was reminded of uh, how memorable this is, uh, and I don't, don't want to steal your thunder, so you give us those two words and tell us why we, we have to look more at one than the other. Well, those two words, and I was going to entitle the book these, but people think that posterity is your rear end, so <laughs> that's why I didn't title the book that, but it's yeah. posterity, which is another word for legacy or the generations that come after us, right. versus prosperity. Mm-hmm. Prosperity are all the trappings and the things that, that wealth can buy us, and unfortunately, We've got the two mixed up. We think that that's the key legacy we want to leave is amassing prosperity, when in reality we see in in Psalm 49 that everything we amass is going to be destroyed. It's not going to carry on. You know, yeah. we buy buildings, we name stuff after ourselves, but it's not going to last. The only thing that's going to last is posterity or people, yeah. the generations that come after us. So we can either focus on posterity and have an eternal legacy, or we can focus on the temporalness of prosperity. You know, I'm teaching the Sermon on the Mount in one of the classes now, and in that, Jesus, of course, in chapter 7 of Matthew, talks about not laying up treasures on the earth where moth and rust corrupts and where thieves break in and steal, instead laying up treasure in heaven where those things don't happen. And then he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I can't think of any way, Russ, that we can, by amassing things, uh, lay up treasures in heaven. Uh, But it seems like if we invest our lives, our time, our talents, our energies uh, in our children, our grandchildren, uh, the people that we disciple, that we mentor, the people that we work with, uh, that's going to bring reward from God and and ultimately treasure in heaven. That's definitely the case. And um, I love that passage that you just mentioned in Matthew 6 about the fact that um, most people are backing into heaven, unfortunately. They've got yeah. their eyes on their stuff here. Yeah. And the problem with the more stuff we amass is we, 
we focus here rather than on eternity. That's one of the beautiful things about giving is it's the antidote to that. It helps us if we're giving and we're being generous with our money, um, we're focusing on on the what we're storing up in heaven. Are we in any way suggesting, Russ, that it is wrong to possess goods or wrong to earn money or make a living? No, Don, not at all. The, the whole issue is, you know, it's, it's the blessing of the Lord which makes rich, we read in Proverbs. So the point is, many people have been blessed with a lot of wealth, and it's those who have the most challenge to how to balance it. Yeah. In fact, it's people who don't have a lot of wealth are really better off than they might realize because they don't have the risk of of ruining their children's provision drive or giving them too much or, you know, some of these things. It's the people who have been blessed with a lot of the world's goods. You know, the first Timothy 6, 17 to 19, instruct those who are rich in this world's goods. You know, that whole thing um, is, is the key thing. So the issue is, if I, if I have been blessed with wealth, how do I handle it in such a way to um, not get crosswise with the things that are really important for the, for the generations that come after me? As we talk about that passage, Russ, it strikes me that there were two categories of people, especially that Paul talked about there. One was those who would be rich, that is, those who wanted to be rich, the affluent wannabes, upwardly mobiles, people. And we see a lot of that in our world today. And then there's the category of those who are rich. And Paul had some words of instruction for both of those. Maybe we ought to work our way through those two and even talk about that great formula there, godliness plus contentment equals great gain. A lot of truth to unpack in that passage. Well, I think if, you, if you're one of those ones that seeks after money, you can never have enough. We go back to Ecclesiastes 5, we see that whole whole concept played out. And and obviously back there in First Timothy, that we're pierced with many a pang if we seek after wealth. So that's not a good way to go. We should not make it our ambition, because ultimately it's the blessing of the Lord which makes rest. In other words, we have certain vocations and we work hard, and uh, you know it's the Lord who... Uh, gives us the ability to make wealth, it says in Deuteronomy. So, you know, it's it's really not up to us. We're to work hard at what God's called us to do, and in some cases, we'll have a lot of wealth, and that second instruction is for those that have the wealth. Yeah, as, as I think about it, I, I, I connect that would-be-rich to First uh, John 2 as well, uh, Love Not the World, that passage where John talks about the things in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And uh, I think most of us understand the lust of the flesh, but we sometimes zip right over the lust of the eyes. And uh, I think, uh, as a good friend of mine once said, that tends to be the desire to buy, to achieve, to acquire, to amass, to obtain more and more and more. I think it was John D. Rockefeller who was once asked, uh, you know, you know, how much do you really want? And he said, just a little bit more. Yeah, and I think, Don, that comes from a basic fundamental buying of the lie of the world, that that's the true definition of success, and it somehow makes me worth something. And once we begin to understand that success has nothing to do with what I make or, you know, where I live or what I drive, but it has to do with my obedience to what God says in His Word, then it can help me not be so caught up in you know, trying to accumulate to keep up with the Joneses. In other words, I could have seven or eight or nine figures invested with Ronald Blue and company and uh, have a great balance sheet and have the highest Dun & Bradstreet rating in three states and uh, ultimately not, been laying, not be laying up any treasures in heaven, or I could be poor as a church mouse and, and basically being stretched out living paycheck to paycheck and, and still be amassing great wealth and significance in the sight of God. Very much the case. I've worked with too many people that have amassed you know, significant financial capital and watched the tears stream down their face as they explain to me that they don't know their children and yeah. they can't really leave their estate to them and so forth. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book is 
Mm. You, know, you kind of see the end of the story, or as Paul Harvey says, the rest of the story, and yeah. you begin to realize that, hey, money's not um, the desired end. The desired end is, you know, God saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. And mm. some people have money and some people won't, but that's not the measurement. And again, for those who are wealthy, and uh, many of us would probably fit that wealthy, prosperous category if you measure us by the rest of the world's standard of living. Uh, We talk about here in North America, the United States, and some of you listening up in Canada. The reality is we we have a lot. And the responsibility that he gives us there in 1 Timothy 6 for us is that we are to be uh, rich in terms of others, that is, generous in terms of, of our giving and reaching out to others. Yeah, it's very clear we're to be rich in good works and generous being willing to share or ready to share. And it comes back, that's one of the keys uh, to this whole thing. The key antidote is, is um, generosity. We'll be back with more encouragement for you right after this. In an interview from the year 2007 with the late Dr. Frank Minrith, Christian psychiatrist and author, host Don Hawkins and Dr. Minrith share encouraging scriptural truths to remind us that we are not alone. I mean, they'll almost send chills up your spine. Mm, I mean, yes. these are good, good, great verses. And so grab a pen and paper. You'll love these. Genesis 8, 18, 14a. Mm. He asked a rhetorical question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Mm, And, of course, Don, nothing's too hard for the Lord. People that are depressed, seriously depressed, but they see no hope. And I want to encourage you, all of you around America, you know, you feel good. Realize that your buddies and maybe your spouse and and people around you, some of those see see absolutely no way out. Mm. And so go to them and say, listen, you know, Genesis 18, 14a, nothing's too hard for the Lord. We, yep. we can beat this thing. Now, that doesn't mean you don't sometimes step in and get, in, get them in the hospital or get them sure. to see their doctor or get them to see their pastor. But encourage them. Nothing, Don, is impossible with the Lord. Such an important principle, Frank. And I just uh, yesterday and today had a couple of chapters uh, from Jeremiah and my personal devotions that tie into this. Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven. Jeremiah going through an incredibly difficult time. You recall he was the weeping prophet. Lamentations, a book all about depression. And Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven. God says to the prophet, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Basically the same thing that was in Genesis 18, 14. And then in Jeremiah 33, 3, uh, Jeremiah hears from God the second time, and he says, Call unto me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not. Isn't that a great promise? You know, Don, it was interesting. Uh, I, you know, I asked you to pick out a few verses to really encourage people, and I told you I'd picked out a few. Right. Don, believe it or not, that was one of the five that was on my <laughs> list also. Oh my. Man, it's such a great verse. Yeah. And just encourage it encourages you that, that when you feel really down, grasp to the Lord. I mean, He really loves you. He cares for you. Uh, great verse, Don. Yeah, He does delight in our crying out to Him. And, you know, Frank, we, we certainly encourage people to get the medical care that they need and the counseling they need. Uh, but the most important help, as you and I like to talk about, is that spiritual help that comes from the Lord, that comes from His Word, and that comes from the support of godly Christian friends. That's it. Exodus thirty-three eleven. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. Dear friend, you out there that are very depressed, uh, you feel like you don't, many of you feel like there's no one there. Mm. You're all alone. And, and well, what about having God as your personal friend? 
<laughs> Don, you, you can't get much higher than that. You cannot beat it. And you think about people like Abraham, who was called the friend of God. Abraham went through some pretty hard times, but what a tremendous thing that was. And then David, a man after God's own heart. And David wrote Psalm 42, where he said in verse 5, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted or agitated or really traumatized within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Now, let me divert here just a second. Okay. And it seems like I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm preaching to the, the friends, and I don't mean to do that, except I, I fear that many people that feel good, they have a hard time feeling the way these people feel. Yeah. Now, can you imagine being blue and sad and down and, and feeling all alone and feeling like nobody cares and, yeah. and, and then feeling they will never get better. Yeah, that's how helpless. people with major medical depression feel. And, and so that's why it's so important that you encourage them, that you step out, that sometimes you get them in the hospital. But you've got to intervene, friend. I mean, they really feel yeah. desperate. And, Frank, it is important to recognize when somebody close to us is really going through that depressed time, uh, we need to intervene. We need to get involved in their life. Yeah, absolutely, Don. During this program tonight, around America, about 20 people will attempt suicide. And, and many of those, Don, will be in our churches. Yeah. So, so just look around, be careful, be aware of this. This is an awesome, uh, you know, it, it's a really a major devastating force hitting us today. Frankly, 1 Samuel 12, 23a. Okay. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Don, one of the major things we do is we ask people around America to pray. Uh, and, Don, maybe we just ask all the prayer warriors now to pray for all the people that are feeling so devastated. Hmm. We need them in the battle for Christ. We, we need them back, and, we, and, and all of you need to encourage them. We do indeed, and I have a verse that goes right along with that from James five sixteen. It says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. In other words, friends, it works. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you for taking my call, and thank you for having this wonderful program. Thank you for calling. How can we be of help? Well, the the other side of happiness uh, fits right into my subject, but I am a practicing born-again Christian, but I have this feeling that I just am here taking up space, that I'm not accomplishing anything. And I don't know if this is the results of of professing Christianity and trying to uh, to live it, or if I'm if I'm just mistaken that yeah. I'm for whatever it is I'm doing. I, I get totally confused sometimes about yeah. where I'm going. Good to hear from you tonight. Uh, you know, you're a very kind person, but you're totally misreading this thing. You realize that? Okay. Yeah, I mean, you just think about it. You're talking to thousands and thousands of people. Do you realize how you just encouraged them? Because they said, at last, a Christian who's honest. I mean, they feel like I feel. They feel sort of bad. They feel like they're not going anywhere. Do you realize what you just did refutes how you feel? Had you ever thought about that? No. Well, you did. I mean, you just spoke to thousands and thousands and thousands of people, and you encouraged them because you were real. You were honest. Incidentally, your voice is kind. It's intelligent. I mean, you're you're feeling like you're doing nothing for Christ. is is just not accurate. I would really encourage you to work on getting very, very close to Christ 
And, okay. and then what we do will just come out of that. I mean, it's yeah. a, you know, it's just automatic. So, but you, but you're doing it, and I appreciate your call so much. Well, I am so glad that you're here. Well, thank you for letting us be there. Let's talk with Chrissy. Hey, how are you? Fine, thanks for calling us. You're on the air. Good. Good. Um, okay, here's my question. Um, okay, I've been married for uh, ten years. Going to be ten years. Got married when I was really young. I was eighteen, and my husband was twenty-three. Anyways, we've had. Um, We've got three children now, and we're pregnant with our fourth child. Hmm. Um, the thing that's going on now is he's bombarded by drinking, and it's just, I feel like it's tearing us apart. Hmm. So my question now is, how do I know what God's telling me to do? Because I, I, I feel like it's throwing me into a depression. I don't want to do anything. I feel like I yell at my kids more than I should. It's just, it's not the person that I want to be. We hear the pain in your voice. I'm so glad you called us tonight. Let's talk to Dr. Minrith about uh, this very complex situation. Yeah, I appreciate your call, too, and I know your heart is just hurting. Uh, I jotted down three things that that might be of help to you, okay? Okay. Uh, One, you you talk with him, at least consider it, when he's not drunk and when you're not upset. I mean, you, you sound very logical, very rational. And uh, you make sense. And, and when you talk with him, just, you know, I'd start out sharing with him how much you love him and how much you did love him. I mean, that's how you started out the, 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 you know, your comments tonight. That's wonderful. You always start on a strong note. And, and then you might go to logic after that. And logic is that we do lose 100,000 people a year to alcohol. It gets their liver, it gets the pancreas, it gets, you know, the esophagus, uh, it gets their brain. And, and tell him, you know, you know he's young and strong, but he'll begin to whittle away at it. And you're going to need him because you're expecting that fourth baby. Yeah. Look what he's got. He's yeah. got you. He's got those four precious children. I mean, what more could a med want? So just logically help him see that. If that doesn't work, and I, I try to stay real adult-like, you know, just real logical. I would, And even warm, but I would refrain from yelling or getting too strong. Yeah. The, the second thing that does not work is to consider maybe about eight people that that he likes and that you know that likes everybody to do an intervention. Usually one or two will not work in an intervention, but sometimes you get around eight in there. That that's hard to that's hard to refute. And right. with everybody telling them they love them, and if you do that, give a specific alternative like a hospital they can go to. Yeah. Uh, and most of the people they get into alcohol. The alcohol will trigger indirectly a chemical of the brain called dopamine. It is so alluring. They'll keep going back to it over and over and over. And so many times they do have to get in the hospital to, to break the addiction. And then, then finally, there's a little book Mary Alice and I wrote back in 2004 called Secrets of a Strong Marriage. Mary Alice and I, and I wrote that just a few years ago. And, and we give some real pearls. And uh, I think some that you don't hear uh, touted a lot. Yeah. Like we go a little counter to what you hear spoken uh, quite a bit. Uh, but, but it's a warm, kind, loving uh, approach. And so, okay. so there's three specifics. Maybe probably the most important thing, Don, we could do for is, is again, just yeah. you know, let's, let's pray for her, okay? Yeah, Frank, lead us in prayer, if you will. Lord, we, we, we heard her pain. And, and Father, I, I know you did, too. And, Lord, I know that grieves you. Lord, she's desperate. She doesn't know what to do. So, Lord, please help her just maybe ponder those uh, three things that I said. Father, we ask for your help. Uh, Lord, even supernatural, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank 
you for listening to this episode of Encouragement for You with Don Hawkins, host of Encouragement Live Radio and author of over 25 books, including Never Give Up and Master Discipleship Today. You can find more about Don and his books at encouragementlive.org. Encouragement for You is a production of Encouragement Communications with the Salem Web Network and lifeaudio.com. Editing by Phil Gebers, production by Elizabeth Andrade. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. It really does help people find us. Let me take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on Encouragement for You. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Stay encouraged and join us next time for Encouragement for You. Often we believe our questions mean we don't have faith, but I believe Jesus loves our questions. Our questions are windows into heaven. I'm Caden Fabrizio, and on the Questions with Caden podcast, we ask and answer one question per episode as relevantly and biblically as possible. Questions about fear, anxiety, depression, addiction, and so much more. Don't worry, your questions, they're not going to scare Jesus. So ask away. Listen and subscribe now at lifeaudio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.